You are listening to uncomfortable, comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. everybody and welcome to the first episode of Uncomfortable in the year 2020. A new year and a new decade. Happy New Year to you all. I'm really excited to have some more comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics this year and I really hope that you want to listen to more. So we are starting this year off on what I think is a pretty awesome topic. In this episode, I chat with Kim Cook, who is the author of Teen World Confidential, five-minute topics to open conversation about sex and relationships. Kim is a certified health education specialist and a former elementary school nurse. As an educator, she supports parents to have healthy and productive conversations about sex and relationships with their kids. Understanding that parents often need support to get the conversation started, she has initiated the National Sex Education Day campaign, which encourages parents to spend just 10 minutes engaging in age-appropriate conversations with their children every February 2nd. I really hope that you enjoy our conversation, but hey, given the topic, there's some adult language and some adult conversation. But you know what? This might actually be a really good one to get your kids to listen to too. Make sure that you are popping those headphones on, you know, if you don't quite want to share it with your kids just yet. But I really hope that you enjoy this conversation and that it's as educational for you as it was for me. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for joining me on the Uncomfortable Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are more than welcome. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I mean, I get really excited about all of the conversations I have, but uh, I feel this one that a lot of parents and kids will relate to, including myself. Uh, so yeah, this topic is something that I've been looking for someone to come on and talk about for quite a while. So thank you for agreeing to chat. Oh, I'm glad you reached out. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you created Teen World Confidential. I'm really glad you asked because a lot of people ask me this all the time. What are you doing talking about sex? It's, I, have a, I have a purpose here. Um, about 30 years ago when I was a young nurse, I was a birth control educator at a local um, reproductive health clinic. After I graduated nursing school, I became a maternity nurse. And I realized then that we really aren't talking to young people about sex like we should be about birth control. Then I had three daughters of my own and it became time for me to have the conversation. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to say. What are we supposed to say about this stuff? I thought, well, no problem. The schools are handling it. I don't need to worry about it. So then I became an elementary school nurse and I was in the schools and I thought, oh my God, there are all these restrictions on what we can tell our kids about sexuality. This can't be right. And then I got a further degree and I became a middle and high school health teacher. And when I was in the classroom, I thought, oh my gosh, it's the parents. The parents are one of the biggest stumbling blocks we have when it comes to talking about sex and relationships. 
they don't know what to say, they don't know how to start the conversations, and they assume that the schools are teaching them. And I thought, this is where we need to make change. We need to talk to the parents about having these important conversations with our kids. And we also need to get parents on board with making sure the schools and our politicians are on board with educating kids about comprehensive sexual health education. Wow. So what did you kind of figure out that it was the parents, like, you know, the kind of, is it parent teacher association type things that they have, or I, I don't remember the, the acronym for them, but mm-hmm. they were prohibiting the schools from saying certain things or explaining certain things. So it kind of came back around to the parents. Yeah. So my experience, well, even currently, I'm still having a problem. I wanted to talk at a local PTO, we call parent teacher organization, my community. Um, And they said it was too dicey of a subject that we don't really need to have you. I'm like, oh my God, this is like, it was like 2018 at the time. I'm like, oh my God. So yeah, so it's still a problem. But when I had my experience in the classroom, uh, and this was 10 years ago, parents were pushing it back, back about talking about LGBTQ issues. And I'm like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> we need to talk about these things. So that's when I realized, and the questions that the kids had, I remember thinking, that's a really easy one for your parents to answer. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, that's where we're having our little disconnect. And, and li- just being a parent in this community, talking to other parents, I knew that no one was talking. Yeah. It's crazy because, yeah, I think that's the case. Parents assume the schools are doing it. The schools assume the parents are doing it. And then the kid, like me, grows up getting their sex education from Cosmo magazine and Sex in the City. That was a great place. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's where my first daughter got her information because yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. So, yeah, exactly. And even now you look at media and the information a lot of kids get are from songs, movies, and television shows, and now video games and their peers. We need to make sure parents and other caring adults, other trusted adults are able to step in and say, okay, yeah, that's all fun and games, but this is real. And let's talk about what's real. Yeah, because there was some weird, I mean, I remember reading, like, we would call them the problem pages or the agony aunt pages of the magazines, where people would write in with their problems and someone, I don't know who, if it was a made up person, would give quote unquote advice. And, you know, you would see strange questions like, you know, um, my boyfriend said, I won't get pregnant if we have sex standing up or if we have sex in the bath. So there was all these like weird rumors that I don't know, you know, well, probably do know where they came from. But um, yeah, it was just ridiculous. There was no conversation. So you were trying to figure out yourself, is this true? (laughs) I don't know if it's true. You know, (laughs) and it's still there. I was somewhere recently in the last week and somebody was saying, oh yeah, that's why people can't get get pregnant when they're nursing their babies. It's it's a built-in birth control. And I remember thinking, uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> so even adults don't always know what's going mm-hmm. on. You know? And that's okay. You're, you're yeah. not expected to know everything. And that's why there are resources out there. It makes me realize we need more of these resources and we need to make sure that we're educating young people and the adults too. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's great. So like your, your whole business model is to get to the parents just before or during the kids' teenage years. So right. what, when they're apprehensive about having those conversations, what do you explain that the benefits are for them to do this early on in the kid's life? 
and you just hit the nail on the head, start early. You know, I, so here's one of the problems. People talk about comprehensive sex ed. Oh my gosh, they're teaching our kindergartners about sex. No, no one's teaching your kindergartner about sex. Sexuality encompasses, oh my gosh, you know, penises and vaginas are just a really small part. You know, the actual act of sex is just a really small part of what's going down. We're talking about things like respect and consent and uh, understanding your anatomy. That's why we want to start comprehensive sex ed when kids are little. And for parents, because our kids aren't in school when they're infants, um, you start then. And it seems kind of crazy, but it's really important to start that conversation when they're little. And here's one of the reasons. Um, most adults were not brought up saying the terms penis, vagina, vulva, testicles. I mean, we didn't do that. And if we did, we laughed. It was funny. Ha ha, funny yeah. words. Uh, granted, they are kind of funny sounding words. But so instead, what we do is we call them other cutesy names like, you know, wee wee or I don't know, whatever you call it in your family. Flower, like hoo ha, yeah. hoo ha, yeah, <laughs> all those things. So we need to get parents used to saying the correct anatomy. And so when you start, when your kids are infants, they don't understand what you're saying anyway. They only know that you're talking to them with love and warmth. So as you're diapering them, oh this is your penis or this is your vulva and start getting used to saying these words. And it just becomes part of their um, vocabulary. They don't even mm. think twice about it. And also what you're doing at that time. So you're getting used to saying it. The kids are getting used to, it's just normal language. Um, but as they get older and you build on that, you're building foundations of trust and you're helping your kids realize that you're reliable, that you are a reliable resource when it comes to these questions that right now they're just little innocent questions. You know, what, what does my penis do and why does she not have one? And, you know, you know, different questions like that. Um, but down the road, the questions are going to get tougher. So if you start young and build on that, that's why it's super important. I, I don't really have a problem using cutesy names. I really don't. But as I said, you've got to teach the appropriate anatomical names first. Mm. You know, um, every family has a different slang term and it's and that's okay, but it makes it really difficult for medical and law enforcement professionals to understand exactly what a child might be trying to communicate if need be. That is probably one of the most important reasons that everybody's on the same page with anatomy, because we have to have the same language. We have to use a universal language of anatomy. Yeah, that's a great reasons. point. I never ever thought about that, right? Because yeah. yeah, everyone has their own little, as you say, call them cutesy names. And it might be something that, yeah, like a, a police officer or someone in a medical profession, professional situation may not understand what that kid's right. trying to say. So yeah, no, that's really important. Now, how, like, I know when parents come to you, they're probably scared, confused about how they can have this conversation and how they can sit their child down or if the kid has any questions, like what the setting should be. So how can they create like a safe and comfortable space to kind of have that conversation? Okay. I love this question. You don't. It's not a conversation. It is a series of two minute sentences here and there throughout their life. I mean, there are gonna be situations where you will have to sit down and have a conversation about something that might be coming up. Like if a child wants to talk to you about going on birth control or their identity, then you might wanna sit and have a really nice conversation. But essentially you're starting again, I really push this beginning level, but you want to be available and present and, available and present in everyday conversations. 
Um, middle school is a really good example of that. And I'm going to use my own example. Oh my God, we're so busy. I had three daughters and they were all over the place. I was busy. I was working. I was back in school. You know, I had a lot going on too. And the availability, I, you know, always, my kids were always a priority, always, always, always a priority. Um, but sometimes you get too busy to sit and really focus on your kids. So one thing that parents can do is make sure that you carve out, um, one two hour time frame once a month where it's just you and your child that you go out and have ice cream or go out for coffee or tea, whatever, however old your child is, you know, whatever's appropriate. Don't even talk about sex, just build that foundation. And then what you're going to find though, is kids are more willing to open up and studies have shown over and over and over again, if you do something physical, like even just taking a walk together, that opens up the lines of communication like you wouldn't believe. I mean, think about it with, I, even with my own husband, if we're on a walk, that's when we really share, you know, issues that are going on. And it's a really great time to allow your child to open up and have conversation. I think sometimes sitting them down might be a little threatening at times, mm. but that's okay too. You know, if you say in advance, hey, there's something I want to talk to you about and keep it friendly and open, they're more willing to do it. So, you know, be available and present. Just make sure that your kids always know that you're there so that when they do need you, you're there. Um, the other thing is, uh, what if your kid approaches you is another topic. Um, sometimes parents are like, oh my God. So the first rule of thumb is, like I said, it, like in middle school, you're so busy. If they ask you a question and you can't answer it right away, say, you know what? Excellent question. We're running out the door for school. Nice strategy to not go to school, but we yeah. gotta go. And <laughs> after school at 5.30, you and I will sit down and we'll have dessert and we'll talk about that because I love your question. It's great. So make sure you offer them an opportunity, um, you know, if, if you can't get to it right away, that you do talk to them. Um, also, answer your child's questions openly and honestly. If you don't know the answer, it's okay. I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. That's why there are researchers out there. We're still trying to figure it out. Excuse me. We're still trying to figure it out. So tell your child, I don't really know. Let's look it up together. Or, what, or the other question you ask them is, what do you already know? Find out what they know already before you yeah. start, you know, and that will give you a good framework of where they are. Um, so also the other thing is, you know, little kids too, they don't under, they don't have that understanding yet. So they may ask you a question. It might sound really silly or funny to you because, you know, we're experienced. We know what's going down, yeah. but the kids don't know. And they might ask a question that it just sounds funny. Don't laugh. You know, your mm. kid is trying to ask you something. Mm -hmm. Don't laugh at them and answer the question the best you can and take them seriously. Yeah. Like I said, humor is good, but not when it offends the person you're talking to. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point because I feel like probably one of the most common things, you know, that you just, you see on TV. I don't have kids yet, so I haven't uh -huh. gone through this experience, but hoping to soon. So, you know, oh. this is good advice for me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you've got the really young kid who's like, who all of a sudden says, you know, where do babies come from? And you see the parents just kind of look at one another and freeze, right? How many times have we seen that situation on television? Um, but then the weird and wonderful things that you're told of how, you know, they're baked in an oven or they come down in the stork <laughs> and like all these weird things. I mean, do you think at that point when the kid's that young, you should attempt to explain where babies actually come from. Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, yeah, 
but give them the bare basics. You don't need to go into detail because they don't get it anyway. So give them the absolute bare basics. You know, well, mom and dad, you know, when they want to have a baby, uh, you could, depending on how old your child is, say, you know, mom and dad, you know, you could say do a special hug that only people in, you know, in our marriage, whatever your value system is, yeah. you know, you could do that and see if they ask any questions. They're a little older, say a dad's penis goes inside the mom's vagina and then um, a, there's his seed fertilizes the egg. And that's all you need to say. You don't need to say any more because if the kid, if the child wants to know more, they're going to ask. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to go on this long explanation, just the very, very bare bones basics that you're comfortable um, talking about. You know, your child may ask, where did I come from? And they want to know which hospital they were born because yes. they, their friends were just talking about which city they were born in. Um, so yeah. ask them first, tell me what you already know mm -hmm. and then build on that. They might know more that. than you think too. <laughs> So just true. find out where they are, take a minute to catch your breath, and you can say, that's a really good question. And if you don't want to answer it right away, that you need to take a beat and step back and say, oh my gosh, say, oh, that's a really good question. Can I get back to you later on that? And then get back to them. Mm. So that's the important piece. But yeah, I know. So, and that goes all through the, their developmental stages. Yeah. They're going to ask all kinds of questions and um, it's okay. Find out what they know first, build upon that. And if you can't answer it, if you're uncomfortable right away, just say, you know, I need a minute. That's a really good question. Can we get back to you? Yeah, no, I love that. Now, why do you think there is still a lot of like shame and stigma around sex that we can't even have a conversation with the people that we love about it? Like it can be really hard. And sometimes I struggle too. And it's like, oh, yeah. why, why is that there? Where has that come from in your experience? Yeah. So, ah, man, I hope someday we can get past this. I really do. Um, I think shame goes back in history. I mean, we're, our country was built on puritanical values in the, I'm in the United States and we were built in on puritanical values and generation after generation, we still feed into that. And I do believe that, you know, of course, there's a religious piece to this, which is great. Everybody, I, you know, this is wonderful, whatever your value system is, that's terrific. But we're taught that sex outside of marriage is a sin. Well, you know, let's think back a couple hundred years, people didn't live to, you know, 80, they died at 40. They got married at 13. And the drives haven't changed much. The sex drives haven't changed much. But now everybody's getting married at you know, between 25 and 35, and the expectations are different. So I think shame goes way back. We talk about, you know, sex outside of marriage being a sin, that you can't do that. But, you know, if you read any kind of history, people have been having sex outside of marriage forever. Yeah. Nothing has changed. And I, even the statistics, it's, nothing has changed. It's just, we're not talking about it because if we don't talk about it, it's not happening. Well, it is. And people are doing it and we need to make sure that we, uh, don't judge and we don't shame individuals for that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that because doing this podcast, um, I've actually interviewed uh, a couple of folks who are in like a non-monogamous relationship mm -hmm. and kind of now realizing, not really knowing much about that world, uh, realizing how happy they are and that that's something that you could actually have in a relationship. Not, not every relationship is going to be, you know, man, woman, in love, get married. 
it's not like that anymore. And that's absolutely okay, right? And exactly. I love that there's options. I love that. <laughs> and who are we to judge? Exactly. I mean, you know, when you think about it, sex feels good. It's fun. If it wasn't supposed to be something that humans enjoyed, we wouldn't have been designed this way. Yeah. So we have to understand it's okay. And everybody's different. It, the heterosexual, cisgender type relationships is actually kind of a thing of the past. It's there, yeah. but you know, we have um, all kinds of relationships that are happy and wonderful and fantastic, and we need to embrace them all. And I think because of media, because of social media, things are changing for mm -hmm. the positive. I do see changes, you know, gay marriage was a big thing. Um, and I think that made a huge, um, I think it made a huge transition to how people viewed LGBTQ community. Mm. So I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on that note, I'm assuming, I'm guessing that you probably get a lot of parents coming to you who maybe have like a child who has come out as gay or bi or, you know, whichever uh, they, they want, they feel, right? And that parent isn't quite sure how to address that because they don't have that similar experience or they can't really talk to, to sex in that type of relationship. So what kind of advice do you give to them? Yeah, really good question. Um, well, the bottom line is you're, you still need to connect with your kids, no matter how they identify. And I, I almost hate putting um, individuals in boxes, you know, how, you know, their orientation, how they identify their gender, whatever. Yeah. So the bottom line is you still have to connect with kids and discuss the relationship piece no matter what. Um, no matter who you are, you're going to experience sex, love, friendships, any kind of relationships. In the, and we want them to experience them in the best way possible. Um, so I don't want identity to become a problem when it comes to parents talking to the kids about sex. The basic message is the same. We all have unique experiences, whether we're gay or straight. It just doesn't matter. But um, the first thing is, though, when you're really getting into practical information, is um, you don't have to know the answers. You, you don't have to think, oh, my God, I don't know anything about that, the LGBTQ um, community. You don't have to. There are resources out there, like PFLAG. Mm -hmm. And that will help you navigate the waters. Um, and so it's a good idea to keep developing the warm relationship with your kids. You, you can help them by advocating too. You can advocate for your kids in the mm -hmm. LGBTQ community because unfortunately there, are, there is a lot of pushback we still see in the news. We still yeah. see situations that kids are getting bullied for their identity, which is devastating. So the, and the more that parents can talk openly to their peers about that, yeah, my son is uh, dating Joe and they are just having a great relationship and, and just make it normal part of conversation. Yeah. Like, not, oh my gosh, my kid is gay and here's what's going down. Just, you know, and that will help educate other people within your community. And I'm talking, you know, different communities handle it differently. So I talk to some communities closer to the big city that I live near and they're open with it. They, they don't even think about it. But when you get to more conservative communities, there's no conversation. Mm. We just don't talk about it because it just doesn't happen. So the more we can talk about it and have conversations openly, we're going to change that. Finally, the other thing I think that's super important is um, if your kid is older and they're in a relationship, you know, they may assume that, of course, that they can't get pregnant. However, they can still 
um, become infected with sexual transmitted infections. So you still need to see a healthcare provider. You still need to obtain um, cond. I, I would recommend condoms. You still need to make sure your kids get healthcare information that they need so that they can um, have safer sex because mm. that's the bottom line. You want your kids yeah. healthy in the long run. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great point. Um, because yeah, usually sometimes top of mind is pregnancy, right? Yep. And I did have a conversation a few episodes back on periods. Um, and I spoke to Denisia Hilton and uh she, you know, helps to kind of educate young girls around periods and thinking of the whole cycle and not just the actual moment when you're bleeding. And she was just saying how as soon as some young, you know, girls get their period, the parents or some guardian or whoever is like, they need to go on the pill because they can get pregnant. And that's like the instant fear. Right. And then, you know, they put their, their child on birth control and that child doesn't really get to even understand their cycle. And I mean, your cycle is so educational, I think, especially when it comes to sex and pregnancy and just Mm -hmm. even emotions and hormones and everything so that was something I always thought like it seems pregnancy is top of mind that sometimes you forget that there's also a deeper education when it comes to you know STIs STDs and stuff like that so yeah exactly and the other population we can we should consider are um trans individuals Mm -hmm. so for example a trans man um may be born with a vagina but identifies as a male, that person can still get pregnant depending on what their mm. sexual orientation is, which is different than her, their gender identity. Yeah. So every, every human needs to be educated about birth control and uh, STI prevention. Yeah, yeah, nope, that's it's a great point. Now, what is the most common question or concern that you get from parents? There really isn't one. You oh, know, wow. when I talk, yeah, when I talk to parents in, in small settings, usually they have their own little problem that they have and they want to talk about. But I would say overall, and the reason I did this is because parents uh, just generally need help. One of the questions is, uh, when and where do I talk to my kids? Mm. Um, and as I talked about, you have to you have to make sure you know where your kids are developmentally, both physically and mentally, emotionally. So you may have a 10-year-old daughter who um, is 10 years old, so she's still quite young mentally, emotionally, but she has already started her period and has breast development. Well, that conversation might look a little different than a girl who's 10 years old and is nowhere near puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing to consider is where they are mentally, emotionally, and physically. Um, so the other, so some of the concerns that parents have when it comes to talking to kids about sex is that they don't know anything. I, I don't know anything. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Well, yeah, you do. You have sex. You've been there. You know. Um, you don't know everything, and you don't have to. Mm-hmm. They also don't know when to talk. And like I said, it's ongoing from birth on. It never stops. You just up the ante a little bit as they get older. And you have to be aware of what what is on media. What songs are they listening to? Who are their peers? You know, what are their peers doing? Because they're probably doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, and we assume the schools are handling it. Unfortunately, and here's something else I'd like to talk about. We do not have nationwide standards when it comes to comprehensive sex education mm. in the schools across the board. Like if you take a math class, you know, by fifth grade, you know these concepts. Yeah. By 12th grade, you know these concepts. You can move across the country and you can pretty much be plopped into any school, give or take. Mm-hmm. 
When it comes to sexual health, nope, nothing. Some schools teach nothing. Some schools are very anti-LGBTQ. Others are abstinence only until marriage. And others are comprehensive and they teach everything, including you know, relationships, consent, all the other factors that go into sexual health. So that's a real problem for me. Um, they've, I'm gonna go off on a tangent for a minute now. So they have reframed um, uh, abstinence only until marriage education, which we call abstinence only marriage into sexual avoidance, uh, sexual risk avoidance education, SRA. Now, of course, we all want our kids to avoid risk when they have sex. Mm -hmm. So you have to be really careful, but that's not what this program is. It is abstinence only until marriage, but they reframed it so that people will change their ideas and go, oh, yeah, this sounds really good. It's not. We need comprehensive sex ed in which we talk about things like relationships and we do talk about identity and we do talk about birth control and we talk about all those factors that go into being a healthy sexual being because guess yeah. what? We are. That's what we are. That's what yeah. we are. So be very, very careful about that. So who started that program? Like, does that come from your government at a federal level, at a state level? Like who implements that? Yeah. So both. Um, so it started back in an administration a few, a few presidents ago where they decided that funding for the schools would be abstinence only. So because schools are always hard up for cash, oh yeah, if I'm going to get money for my health education program, in which, which is where sex education is housed, um, I'll teach what you want me to teach. Okay, I'll teach abstinence only so you can give me the workbooks and everything for free or a discount. So that's how abstinence only kind of snuck into mm. our schools. There's a lot more background to that, but essentially. And now we're finding that it didn't work. You know, it, that education is useless. Um, so then we have administrations who are saying, okay, it's not working. Let's make sure it's comprehensive. Each state can do whatever they want. So I know in my state, in 2012, they passed a law that said, you don't have to teach sex ed, but if you're going to, it has to be comprehensive, which means you have to teach about um, identity, birth control, STIs. So um, that has changed. But again, you have educators who are not specifically trained in sex ed, which mm. is a problem, and they have their own values and morals and their own stigma with with um, shame and it makes it very hard to talk about. Just think about how hard it is just to talk to your girlfriends over a glass yeah. of wine sometimes. Do you yeah. think educators are all comfortable talking in front of 30 students about sexuality? Yeah, especially so kids who are going to laugh and giggle and make fun and make jokes and exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I don't mind a little fun in the classroom, but there's a line, you know, it's yeah. still an important class. Yeah, it's still education. So it's still education. So yeah. that's kind of a problem. But I, I do see a trend where I thought we were on an upswing. Unfortunately, I, I feel like we're backpedaling a little bit, mm -hmm. but I have faith. And that's why it's important that parents get involved because I don't know a parent out there that doesn't want to keep their kid healthy. And the best way to do it is through education. And between the parents and the schools, we can really make great change, but we need policies in place. We need to elect individuals who can help us get these policies in place so that we can healthy people, healthy, yeah. our kids grow up to be healthy adults. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully in the States, you guys see that day soon. <laughs> I hope so. so. Yeah, let's hope, let's hope. Um, so what about like the consent? Teaching consent is so important. And this was not, not even a word we 
had when I was at school, right? It wasn't anything to do with sex um, or touching. And one thing I, I've kind of seen there are a lot of parents, um, you know, express, expressing to their child if their child doesn't want a hug, they can say no, right? And I mean, I think this is great, but then you see a lot of people who are so used to just kind of grabbing their kid, tickling, and the kid feeling uncomfortable and not enjoying it, but just dealing with it because grandpa wants a hug or uncle whatever or auntie whatever her name wants to hug. So I can see how that's going to be a tough one for parents mm-hmm. to kind of you know, teach the kids that yes, you can say no, but teaching the other adults to respect that child's stance when they say no is very difficult. So how does someone, you know, kind of bring that up in conversation or speak to their, their family about that? Yeah, it's a problem. So I think what we need to do is, first of all, you know your kid. You know if they're comfortable or not. You know that if this is uh, how your child reacts to other adults, respect that and honor that. So if your child you sense is very uncomfortable hugging Aunt Kim, we'll use me, ask them, say, you know what, you don't have to hug Aunt Kim. Is there another way you can show affection? What, what works for you? A fist bump, uh, just uh, hi, Aunt Kim, I love you, or whatever it is. There's other ways to greet somebody. Um, and then you tell that adult in advance, or if you're having the greeting, say, oh, little Johnny here would like to give you a fist bump or, you know, something like that. Hopefully adults are acceptable to that or are accepting of that. So, um, but, and it doesn't hurt to have a conversation before you get together. Look, you know, little John is a little uncomfortable with this. This is how we've explained to him that he can greet you. And I think it's really important too um, to understand that there's a difference between being polite and refusing, cons- you know, refusing consent, I guess, or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, you can still be polite and say no. And I think, especially for young people, it's important to be polite because I think, going off on a tangent a little bit, we don't want to raise a generation of people who are rude and can say anything they want at any time. I mm-hmm. think there's a really um, we still need to uh, teach our kids to be polite and kind yeah. and considerate, but you have to honor yourself. So on the flip side of that, your children have to understand that people aren't always going to be consenting to what you want. Mm-hmm. I want to play with uh, Johnny's toy. He won't let me. Well, you know, that's okay. That's his toy right now. And he doesn't have to play. You can talk to him if there's a better time to play or trade toys. But if he says, no, you have to honor that. So it goes both ways. And mm-hmm. we have to teach our kids that it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. And do you think um, like schools are doing a good job of teaching consent? Or do you think that's really something that's in the parents, you know, department? I do. I think that uh, at least in my community, there are a lot of great character building programs that we are trying to help young people understand that piece. Little do they know that's part of sex ed, but Mm. we are teaching people to have good character and to respect and honor other people's wishes and boundaries. I I do get a sense that we're getting this in the schools at a young age. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, What about... The M word, masturbation. (laughs) Something that, you know, I don't think anyone ever talked to me about. Um, Is there an age appropriate time to talk about masturbation with your kids? And if so, like why specifically that age or, or that time in their life? 
Well, kids usually discover the pleasures of their genitalia, you know, around toddlerhood. Mm -hmm. And so typically that's when I would say if you see your child touching themselves and they don't understand what's going on, they might be watching TV or holding their little stuffed animal while they're doing it, whatever. Just say, oh, um, I see, you know, I see that you're touching yourself and that's okay because I know that that's one of your body parts at your vulva or your penis, whatever it is, your, you know, clitoris, whatever, whatever age they are. Um, there's a time and a place for that. I know it feels good, but you can go in the bathroom or in your bedroom and do it during these times, but doing it in public, that's one of these private things that we do. Um, that's in our, that this is one of the private things that we do because it's our body. Um, but we don't do it in public. So mm -hmm. these are the time, this is the time and the place. You don't go, Oh my God, what are you doing? Get your hands out of there. Yeah. That's where the shame comes in and the mm -hmm. stigma of bad, bad, bad. And it only takes one time of saying that and it, it yeah. can affect your child. Yeah, definitely. And what about when, you know, kids are, they're older and they're maybe, or teens, I suppose, mm -hmm. are discovering sex toys and stuff like that? Is, you know, is there con parents ever come to you kind of thinking, how do I talk to them about using a sex toy properly and where to get them and how to clean them and yeah, that's a things. good question. Yeah, no one has come to me with that question, and I mm. can't say I'm too surprised. But um, <laughs> what I would advise someone, though, is, yeah, you know, what's wrong with that? Because one thing we never, ever talk about in, in, when it comes to sexuality is pleasure. We talk mm. about prevention. We talk about safety. We <laughs> yeah. talk about body parts, pregnancy. But pleasure is huge. It's yeah. huge. And um, using sex toys is a great way for, especially women, um, to discover what pleases them and what doesn't. I mean, come on, you want your, your young people to have a healthy sex life when they get married or when they don't, yeah. whatever, whatever happens, but you want them to be happy adults when it comes to their sexuality. So yeah, you know, you don't want to accompany them to the sex toy store. Great. That's fine. You know, but if they do find it, but I would recommend having the conversation about, um, infection prevention because you mm -hmm. want to make sure that your the device that you're using is clean and where you can get one that's safe you know online so yeah definitely have those questions and that's going to be probably high school especially mm -hmm. if they're dating someone and, and they prefer masturbation over sexual intercourse that's great you know then you don't have to worry about pregnancy i guess yeah. but um but definitely give them the okay. It's all right to, to use those devices for sexual pleasure. They're discovering what works for them. And sexual pleasure is obviously a huge part of sex. Yeah. Yeah. And I will and say safe. again, it, it is. And uh, it was sex in the city that turned me to, I think the rabbit that Charlotte was using. So. <laughs> Still the best selling vibrator right. around. Yep. No wonder. So I'm always grateful to uh, the writers of sex in the city for that episode. <laughs> I bet a lot of people are, you yes. know, you learn a lot. And again, that's media as an educator. Wouldn't you rather your yeah. kids come to you or to exactly. their gynecologist or yeah. whatever and learn about toy safety mm -hmm. and yeah, the other resources definitely. you can always go online and learn more yeah. too because if you don't use these tools yourself and you don't understand how they work just go online together and, and learn yeah and i mean i we have a couple of sex stores now here in vancouver anyway where they have workshops so like you can go in their staff are really knowledgeable they're not like scuzzy gross 
say right. shops oh, anymore. No, no yeah, they're, no. they're beautiful, you know, yes. gorgeous lingerie. They have really, you know, well-designed, high-class, <laughs> maybe even environmentally friendly sex toys. Um, the staff are well-educated and they have yeah. workshops that you can come to on lots of different things. Um, so yeah, it's great. Like it's not one of those, you're walking into the sex shop with your, you know, hood up and scarf over your head, trying to hide yourself. You go in there and it's actually a really nice experience and fun. Right? They really are nice stores. Yeah. yeah. And they're yeah. a lot of fun. Again, humor. Yes. You got to have fun in life, right? Very important. Very yeah. important. So what about um, birth control? So I think this is a question that I didn't give to you ahead of time, but um, again, maybe teen years, they're in a relationship, your child's in a relationship, and it's probably that time to suggest some sort of birth control. Again, probably depending on your, your value system, as you yes. mentioned. Um, like what's a good way to kind of have that conversation? Because I know that can be super awkward. <laughs> so funny you should say this. I just had this happen. So um, <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine called me up out of the blue and she says, oh my gosh, my teenager is having sex. I came down, found the condoms. What do I do? What's my next step? She goes, I'm shocked. I go, A, great job because they used a condom. Let's just start there. Yep. So that is first and foremost, even when young people are on birth control, condoms are always should be used because of the STI issue. Um, you don't always know your partner's history because they may say that they're sharing, but they may not. So keep that in mind. But um, yeah, well, always, always, always see your healthcare provider. That's, you know, uh, uh, as a former school nurse, I'm, you know, you got to talk to your healthcare professional about options because they vary from person to person about what works, but there's something out there for the mm -hmm. individual. Um, so yeah, just jump in with the conversation. You know, she said uh, she saw the condoms approached her daughter and said I thought these were candy wrappers but they weren't and uh, let's talk and her daughter says I was so afraid you were going to be mad at me she goes no you know I want you safe and healthy so if you approach it from a place of love and care and concern not shame oh my god I found these condoms what are you doing that's a whole nother conversation then hey I found these condoms and I see that you're um, involved in a sexual relationship let's talk about this. How can we keep you safe? You know, you have a great future ahead. I want to make sure you don't become pregnant if that's not in your cards right now. Um, let's talk about this. So it's the place you come from and it's building that foundation that really matters. So yeah. I and take your child to the doctor and make sure that yeah. they but don't sit in the room with them. If you know, like there was just that instance where somebody was making sure their daughter was still a virgin and she, there's no virgin virginity test. Let me just tell you that that was just wacky. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah, that's yeah. awful. But yeah, I do remember the day when my mom had said she'd found a condom under my brother's bed and, you know, and he was probably maybe late teens, maybe even early 20s. I can't exactly uh -huh. remember. And, you know, of course. she's. And I was like, well, at least he used one. And she was just more like, oh, but like, it's my baby and he's growing up. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah this is how it is, right? That's how it is. But uh, I don't know about the US. I assume it's very different in the UK when I was young and kind of got into a relationship, um, 
I just went straight to what we have and they're called the family planning clinics. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, we have the national health service, so we don't have to pay anything. I could just go as, you know, I was probably 17, 18 and go on the pill. And I did it without my mom knowing, (laughs) like I just went. So one weekend I was going away with my boyfriend and my mom said to me, you know, if you're going away with him, you should probably, you know, think about, you know, contraception and going on the pill. And I was like, I've already done it. And she was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I had already gone and, you know, sorted that out. So, I mean, it would have probably been great to have that conversation with her earlier, but in the UK we had you kind of know where you can go if you want to to speak to a medical professional and, and go on that. And the pill doesn't cost anything oh, that's in the nice. UK. Yeah. No. Oh. I know. Yeah. Not in North and, America. No, uh-uh, unfortunately. And I think things keep getting rolled back, but we're going to bring it. it we're going to get better here. We're yes. going to get better here. You got to get hopeful. You got to get, get better. But I thought you touched on a really interesting piece though, too. You know, we're talking about how the kids feel and it is, it's all about your children, you know, building them up, creating an environment that's warm mm-hmm. for them. And, but you know, we're, we're going through stuff too. We're going yeah. through too. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh my God, my kid is having sex. You know, again, it's our baby. You're like, oh my God, how did this happen? But keep in mind, how old were you and what were you going through and who did you date? So they're no different than you. Maybe they are, maybe they're not, but think about where you were at 16 and 17 when those hormones are raging, you know? So kind of bring yourself back to their place, but it's okay to deal with these things too. You know, if you have um, a parenting partner that's, you know, get a glass of wine at night and go, oh my God, oh my God, this is what happened. (laughs) Talk about it. It's okay to feel your feels too. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel that way as well. Um, but you do have to put the kids as the priority, but keep it in check. Think about what's inside your head and you deal with what's inside your head later, but deal with your child and their experiences and problems right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great You're the point. adult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though you may not feel like it. You, you may not feel like it. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what other resources um, can parents turn to when educating their kids? So I know you have a wonderful website, teenworldconfidential.com, yes. and I will post links to this in oh, our thank you. notes so that people can go there. And I know that you also have a book. Yes. So if you want to, you know, tell us a little bit about that and then other resources out there that people can turn to. Yeah, um, a little bit about my book uh, first, because, you know, it's all about me today. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah the book, what I, what I really like about the book, and the same woman who told me about her daughter says, oh my gosh, I pulled out your book, and I, she says, there are these pages from here to here that I read and read and reread, because it really helped me get through that initial conversation. Um, so they're written in really short snippets. So you can pick it up, read it for one you know, five minutes, put it down and it doesn't go in succession for chapters because we're busy. We don't have time to read a whole book about stuff. Sometimes we just want a quick resource. And so that's the design of the book. Having said that, there are some fabulous other books out there for parents. I have a whole list of them on my website. um, And you can also Google it or go on Amazon. And I think we're all in this space together and we need to help one another and advertise for Mm -hmm. one another. So I buy any book you want. Um, but I have a whole bunch listed on my website. Um, there are some great resources, though. One of my absolute favorites is called amaze.org, A-M-A-Z-E.org. And that is a bunch of uh, animated videos that parents and kids can access. And that really helps get the conversation going. And they really, they tackle these topics head on. No, no hesitation about using language and um, 
different scenarios. They really hit it head on, but in a very developmentally appropriate manner. Highly recommend amaze.org. Planned Parenthood, I'm a fan. You know, I think they have, if you go on there, their resources are just expansive. Videos and information about that. Actually, if somebody has questions about birth control, I often go there just to update myself because it's changing all the time. I love Planned Parenthood. I'm a big fan of the CDC. I have a daughter who's an infectious disease specialist. My husband's a veterinarian. I'm a nurse. You know, another daughter's a nurse. We're science people. And I love the CDC. I think they're pretty much on top of things and they, they really give good information. They even have parent sections. Great. Yeah. If you have an individual who identifies as LGBTQ+, PFLAG is a great resource for parents, um, for, well, for all, all people, but you know, we're talking about parents. So it's a great resource for parents. There are a couple of really great podcasts, too, that I want to recommend. Six Minute Sex Ed by Kim Cavill is outstanding. Six minutes, sort of like my book, Five Minute Reads. She's got six minute podcasts and they're geared. She has them in tears. So they're geared for young people and for adults and for both. And finally, Sex Positive Families, the podcast. She's got a, uh, she's got a terrific um, website, Sex Positive Families, but she also has a podcast that's really good. Uh, that's Melissa Carnegie. She is fantastic. Really, really great. Healthcare provider and community clinics, you know, that's where you get your hands-on information. Mm -hmm. Pop into one of those and they can give you a hand. I know locally we have an STI clinic called the Open Door Clinic. That's a great resource for young people, for all people, mm -hmm. you know. Pop in there. They're, they're willing to help out. But they're, you know, every time I turn around, there's a new book. There's a new book that was just released for adolescent boys that I purchased, but I haven't had time to read yet. So they're out there and the yeah. information is getting more and more expansive. Sweet. So I'll also post a link to your webpage that has all of the resources too, Great. just so it's easy for people to get to. Um, one last question. I know that National Sex Education Day yes. is coming up February 2nd. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Oh, I'm so excited about National Sex Ed Day. I'm trying to roll this out. It's fairly new, but I think we can get this going. So as we talked about, it's really, really hard to get that conversation going about sex and relationships. And sometimes we need that moment, that window, we can use a, an ad we hear on the radio, a song that we sing, something on TV and use that as a conversation starter. But I have a new one, National Sex Education Day. On February 2nd, I encourage all trusted adults to have a conversation just 10 minutes with their young person about sexuality. It could be about consent, it could be about relationships, it can be about birth control, whatever. Float your boat, whatever is developmentally appropriate for your child. And use your values, I don't, you know, whatever you want to say, make it values-based, it's all good, but just 10 minutes. So here's your opening line. Oh my gosh, today is National Sex Education Day. They have this crazy idea that I'm supposed to spend 10 minutes talking to you about sex. Do you have any questions? Is there anything you want to know? Anything on your mind? Because I really want to be here for you and let's start this conversation. Oh mom, I don't want to talk. Well, well I have an idea. So, and then just go into something. I heard this song on the radio or I saw this movie and start the conversation. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. It's not that hard. And that can start getting things rolling. Your child then realizes that you're there. You want to talk. You're willing and able to have these conversations. And funny story where I, where, why I started it on February 2nd. See, 100 years ago in 1919, we had a huge increase in syphilis, and the country was just so amoral. It was just awful because that's how syphilis was being spread. So pastors across the country preached from the pulpit, 
no more sex. You can't be doing this premarital sex thing because we're all dying of syphilis. Well, it didn't work. So a hundred years later, I'm saying, let's have these conversations. Let's educate. Let's get our kids on birth control. Let's make sure that we have policies in place to keep our STI rates down because if we're educated, we know what precautions to take mm -hmm. that we can help really make this a healthy environment for young people. So that's how it got started. And I have to put in a plug. Um, the book that I got that from was called um, Condemnation. Condemnation. And I forget the name of the author off the top of my head, but definitely check out that book. Oh, it had definitely. a lot of great history on sexuality. Yeah, it's a great name too. I love it. I know. I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. So National Sex Education Day will be February 2nd. For those of you who tune into this podcast after February 2nd, 2020, yes. then hopefully it will be the same on February 2nd, 2021. So just it will bookmark be. it. Bookmark and I have updates. Exactly. And I have a whole website dedicated to it. I've got memes that you can post, tweets that you can put out there. <laughs> You can do it all year long. It's not just yeah. that day, but advertise it, talk about it, get this conversation going every day. I love it. I love it. Kim, this has been amazing. I've had fun. So Thank you. Much. I know it is. I think it can be a fun conversation. You just kind of have to get over that discomfort. And then eventually, as you say, you have it every so often and you answer your kids' questions and it becomes a norm and then it yes. becomes comfortable, which is the whole purpose of this podcast is to make conversations like this comfortable so thank you for the work that you do oh you're and welcome thank you for your time today and yeah keep in touch let us know how thank things you are going. i will and thank you so much for having me you're welcome thank you so much for listening you can find out more about kim by visiting her website teenworldconfidential.com and you can follow her over on her Instagram and Twitter account at TWConfidential. Now if you enjoyed our conversation or you have any comments then you can head over to the episode page on our website which is uncomfortable.blog and you can post them in the comments box. You can also follow us on social media. We are at uncomfortable.blog on Facebook and Instagram and uncomfy underscore podcast on Twitter. If you like what you heard, then head over to Apple Podcasts and please give us a glowing review. Make sure to hit all five of those stars. We would really appreciate it. And you can also support us on a monthly basis by becoming a patron and pledging as little as, you know, two or five dollars a month. And those pledges will actually help keep this little podcast on its pod feet by covering costs such as website, podcast hosting, editing, equipment, and all of those things. Thank you again so much for listening. Now go out there and talk about sex.